Hello, welcome to a special Halloween episode of the Sanctum Secorum Reading Room. Whether you are a classic creature, a modern slasher, or a curious ghoul who stalks the halls of our library, we invite you to join us as we dive into the history and influence of Appendix N. We'd like to open our library to you and inspire readers to explore these new worlds. Allow me to introduce our Keepers of Mysteries for this evening. I am Keeper Jen, and with me, of course, is Keeper Bob. <laughs> I think we were all waiting for that, really. I know I was. Um, a quick reminder to our live listeners, uh, we do have channel points here in the Twitch chat, and there will be another couple of giveaways coming up in the hour, uh, one specifically for our Twitch viewers and one that everybody can email in to join. And tonight, we continue our exploration with a seasonally perfect selection by an appendix author. A Night in the Lonesome October is the last published non-collaborative book by Roger Zelazny before he traveled to realms beyond. Take it away, Bob. Loyally accompanying his mysterious knife-wielding gentleman named Jack on his midnight rounds through the murky streets of London, Good Dog Snuff is busy helping his master collect the grisly ingredients needed for an unearthly rite that will take place not long after the death of the moon. But Snuff and his master are not alone. All manner of participants, both human and not, are gathering with their ancient tools and their animal familiars in preparation for the dread night. It is brave, devoted Snuff who must calculate the patterns of the game and keep track of the players. The witch, the mad monk, the vengeful vicar, the count who sleeps by day. The good doctor and his hulking experiment man he fashioned from human body parts, and a wild card American named Larry Talbot. All while keeping things at bay and staying a leap ahead of the great detective, who knows quite a bit more than he lets on. The participants of the game struggle to see which side will prevail. Will it be the openers or the closers? And oh, how I love. This was so much fun. A night in the lonesome October. Oh. I, I've literally lost count to how many times I've read this book. Yeah, I was just going to say, this is not the, the first nor even third time that we've read through this. Uh, yeah, I'm... I'm really fond of this one because I, I think because it's not in the style of like Watership Down. You know, it's not just a bunch of talking animals. Although it is uh, a bunch of talking animals. But, but yes, I, I not just. And when the clock strikes midnight, Snuff can speak to Jack. And, and to be fair, Watership Down scarred a lot more children than this book will. Yeah, yeah. This, this one was a lot of fun. Um, I kind of want to talk about the book before we talk about Zelazny, but I know that's not the way we do it. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about Zelazny because otherwise we'll get on. Roger Joseph Zelazny, born May thirteenth, nineteen thirty-seven, passed away June fourteenth, nineteen ninety-five. As an author, he was nominated for fourteen Nebula Awards. He was nominated for fourteen Hugo Awards, and he won six Hugos, three Nebulas, two Locus, um, a pre-tour Apollo. Uh, like some Saturn awards and two Balrog awards. I mean, a highly decorated author <laughs> and, and the shows, right? Uh, yeah, there, I found a quote from him. I don't know which interview it was part of, but he said, when I was about six years old, I read stories and decided that I would have done things differently with the characters. One day I realized that, Hey, I could do this. So I tried and I've been doing it ever since. And I, you yeah, yeah, pretty much sums it up, really. I mean, that, that sort of makes sense, right? I mean, his, his first fanzine appearance was in 1953, and his first professional publication was a few years later. But then he was working for the Social Security Administration through 1969 when he shucked it all to change his life and become a full-time author. And that is what he did from 1969, essentially, until he passed away, was he was an author. He wrote, and that is what he did. And in that, in between that time, I mean, 
Yes, you mentioned the first fanzine appearance. Um, he also published some stories in his high school uh, literary magazine. And in college, he was winning awards in two different years for poetry out of the entire uh, Columbia University, I believe. And it's really fascinating to me how he deliberately progressed in his style of writing. He went from the short shorts to the novelettes and then the novellas and the novel length features. And, and actually, that, that <laughs> makes sense. Uh, it, it, going back to, to our, our recent special show with Michael Moorcock, that was the advice that he gave was write short stories and then write longer stories, but write, write short stories first, get get your feet under mm-hmm. you and, and develop your style and then get longer. Makes It makes perfect sense. I mean, this Zelazny was a member of the Swordsman and Sorcerer's Guild of America. So he was you know, friends with people like Lynn Carter and, and other authors on the Appendix N list who we, we all know and, uh, and love their works. And so this, this kind of collective group that he was a member of certainly would uh, would be able to point him in the right direction if he had if he had ever run astray, which I don't really think he did. His story arose for uh, Ecclesiastes was included on a DVD called Visions of Mars, and it was sent to Mars. Wow! On the the Phoenix Mars lander as part of the first library on Mars. So I mean, this is this is an author who's done fantasy and science fiction who has work on another planet. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Besides uh, the the fantasy writers, uh, he was also part of what was known as the new wave for sci-fi writers in the 60s. And it was fellow authors who felt that science fiction should be taken seriously as literature. And I find it interesting that there, there's all these awards and all of this acclaim in the 60s. And he didn't leave his job until 1969. <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's sort of the thing. And I kind of wonder. And he started the Amber series in 1970. Yeah. But with the new wave, I kind of wonder who else falls into that, especially with the this science fiction should be taken seriously. I can't help but think of Harlan Ellison, who hated Siffy and demanded it be called speculative fiction because it was serious business. And, uh, and so I can't Ellison hope wasn't mentioned in that grouping, no. <laughs> but as another, as another bit of weirdness, there's actually a species of crustacean called Scleropsis zelazny. It's a, a form of what they call seed shrimp that is named for Roger Zelazny. He has essentially an aquatic bug named for him. Why? I... Oh, think things like this worry me. I mean, I, I here I thought I was coming up with random tidbits, but um, yeah, like he reached expert level with the epe in college, college fencing, which is which is not simple to do. Yeah, and and then later got a black belt in aikido. Also, not one tidbit <laughs> that I found was that he was also a smoker, but in order to keep up with the fitness and all of these activities, he stopped smoking. When he quit smoking, so did his characters that he was writing about. And that's a really cool. Well, that sort of makes like, sense, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, but I know, I, I know that a lot of other authors have followed that pace, but they don't write about their characters quite so um, autobiographically. Well, I, I can't help but think, you know, as, as, as a former two-pack-a-day Lucky Strike smoker myself, right, I can't help but think how often a character was smoking the book because he was sitting there writing and he's like, I want a cigarette, I want a cigarette, I want a cigarette, I want a cigarette, I want a cigarette. Oh, the character okay. likes a cigarette. That's fair. Yeah, I'm going to light a cigarette. You know, so <laughs> I, I can't, I kind of wonder how much that was. And then, then once he quit, I bet it wasn't an instant thing. I bet he quit smoking and he was still sitting there going, I want a cigarette, I want a cigarette, I want a cigarette. Um, and eventually, as, as that and paper our got apologies off, to was... anybody listening who may have quit. <laughs> we'll change the subject now. Um, let's see. In a little over 30 years of his career, he published over 150 short stories and over 50 sci-fi and or fantasy novels. That's pretty impressive for such a short I mean, career. 
it's not as Asimovian, but it's it's up there. Right? Well, I mean, Asimov was going for very, like sixty or eighty years too. Well, well, uh, well, Asimov write like I don't know four or five hundred books, but when you when you when you uh, look at that elevated strata, you realize that Zelazny is pretty far up there. I can't think of many authors even today who have written that many books. I mean, maybe Andre Norton because we see a lot of Andre Norton. Uh, and well, I mean, this might be, you know, akin to, say, Fritz Leiber's scope of work, but Leiber was publishing for <clears throat> 60, 70 years. So to compact that into a mere 30 years of publishing, that, that's pretty impressive. And e- even more impressive, this particular novel is still fairly accessible both in print and audio formats and if you're looking for the audio version of this book there is a delightful version read by zelazny himself and uh, if, if you're and looking for an audio version that would be the one that's I only because we didn't record bob when he was reading it every night this past month <laughs> that that was Probably uh, my favorite part of this particular experience. Plus, I was able to stop and say, wait, wait, what did he just say about this? Wait, didn't we hear something different a couple chapters ago? Okay, go ahead. You you may continue. <laughs> well, so that that raises it raises a question that I that I would be uh, interested in knowing as we as we start to transition from from the author to the work. I'm curious of our uh, of our live viewers who have have read the book. How many of them read it a chapter a night versus versus binging it or reading it in another fashion? Um, I I really enjoyed reading it a chapter a night because I've never you know, gotten October first, October second, yeah. October 29th. You know, just it's it's a lot of fun to read the story that way, and certainly some of the chapters are like page and a half with an illustration and uh, and so that's sort of disappointing but uh overall i really enjoyed reading it one chapter night so i'm curious if anyone else did uh we do have a question in our chat uh great babe is asking if there were any appendix and horror novels like with a fantasy halloweeny feel um i have a suggestion but what about you bob well, so right right off the bat, H.P. Lovecraft is is on Appendix N, and so that that would uh, that would thus include his only horror novel, his only novel actually, which was uh, the case of Charles Dexter Ward, which is uh, which was a wonderful piece and wasn't actually published, I don't think, in, until after he had passed. And there's there's longer short stories like At the Mountains of Madness, which is more of a novella, um, but those are those are certainly you know solid. As for fantasy with a Halloweeny feeling, um, merit. Yeah, oh creep yes, shadow. creep, creep, burn, witch, burn, creep, shadow, creep. Yes, that's that's true. The the works of of merit were uh, were very solid, and I mean, merit's merit's works really stand out because they're especially both of those stories because they are contemporary stories for the time which are 30s and 40s stories taking place in the 30s and 40s uh so it's it's not really a fantasy piece so much as almost like a like a noir detective piece with a supernatural undercurrent running through it Uh, and and this is where in some ways if you go ahead uh, if you throw in animals, in some ways, uh, that's kind of what a night in the lonesome October is. I, I was going to say that that kind of starts my slide back to the twenties and and the teens for uh, Gertrude Barrows Bennett, who I think was a contemporary of Merritt's, honestly, possibly a little predating, but I think yeah. I think a little before. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan of Barrows Bennett ever since our our show back in was it March of this year? It was it, it was, was a while ago. The Citadel of Fear. But now we're doing an October. Yes. Yeah. So now we're in October. Um, we're back to Zelazny. Um, I 
right before Halloween, yeah. as we discuss on night the Lonesome October, which has its climax, of course, tomorrow night, October 31st. So we did have to read one night out of sequence, but, you know. <sighs> it, it, and I thought... <laughs> I thought this was a lot of fun in that Zelazny pulls a Philip Jose Farmer. Uh, Philip Jose Farmer was, was, was known for saying, well, you know, Tarzan and Doc Savage and the Lone Ranger and Sherlock Holmes, they're all from one big family tree. So I can write them in together. Sure. He created that family tree, but you know, he created that family tree, that family tree existed. And so here, I mean, here we have, you know, Sherlock Holmes, Dracula, Frankenstein and the monster, Jack the Ripper, all, all in one story. And I can't help but think that we're not going to see another another story in this style with more recent characters for in our lifetimes, right? You're not going to see a book that has like Freddy and, and, and Michael Myers and, and Jason because of the way copyright has been extended and extended and extended. The, you know, anybody who would be interested would be long dead before uh, before such characters could ever meet in a book like this and it's got enough an absolute, movies anyway right <laughs> i i suppose I, but it, it, I, the story is yeah. just is so delightful in the way it does that and with zelazny dipping his toes into the lovecraft mythos you know, with a, with a story that goes through the dreamlands and it, it talks about the, the releasing, you know, the opening the way to release the elder gods. And yet the whole thing, it's not, it's not a grim, dark tale. And let's face it, some of the last new stuff can be pretty dark and pretty bleak when he really wants it to be. Uh, We're pretty I mean, out you know, there. Sure, he's not tan And this legal, was none of those. But this was, this was exactly, fairly easy to follow. It's it's light and fun. But, it feels it, it feels like a universal horror movie. But don't forget, it's also told from Snuff's point of view. We we never find yes. out, at least until the thirty first, uh, exactly what kind of dog Snuff might be, besides large. Uh, but I love the way he constantly addresses the other characters or uh, refers to them in his narratives. It's simply Jack. Uh, the next door neighbor is Jill. There's the count. There's the good doctor, uh, the detective, the large man who smelled of death. And I, I just, yeah, the, the commentary put forth in this too. The animal companions were a lot more likely to befriend each other or help each other despite the machinations of mankind that are going on around them because they understand well, and they were the main characters right i mean yeah. what would normally be the background mm-hmm. players in a story are are the main characters with cheater and, and gray Malk and nightwind all of these all of these great animal companions that are fully intelligent and and working together and against one another while, while being very cagey about what side their masters are on. Oh, yes. You and never so, give a piece of information out unless you're getting something in return. And and those trades were very, uh, they weren't veiled at all. I, I can tell you this, but no, what, can, no, what can you trade? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I can tell you where this person is. Well, and it's sort of, you know, the, the whole concept of the book, the conceit, you know, the game, the uh, the contest of opening and closing. This is sort of it's it it's like getting a behind the scenes look at the way the game is played, but it's behind the scenes and at ground level looking up, mm-hmm. right? Because all of all of the all of the true players in the game are. I, I don't know when I when I was reading the book, they just seem so much larger than life, both in in the way they're characterized because of who they are. But in the way they're written, everything, everything as I read it, I, I envisioned it. You know, looking up at these hulking human figures, because you know, I as I'm reading about you know, Bubo the the pack rat, or, uh, or Kakela the the raven, and so it's all these these smaller animals dealing with this this overarching thing, and uh, it sets it sets the feel for it in a very interesting fashion. Um, I. Think that besides "quote unquote" pulling a Philip as a farmer, he also 
pulled a Vance on us. There were some very Vancean obtuse descriptions and some deliberate vagueness going on uh, with the capital T things that lived in the cabinet or in the mirror or or in the basement in the the trunk or in the basement in the summoning circle that was all of these things were just being kept there for the evening for for the 31st for the grand event and we never are told why Oh, we we are well, not not with any specific uh, purpose. It was just yes, yes. They 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 do. Jack Jack had gathered all of those things in case the opening went through, and his plan was to release them all at once to cover their escape. That was that was uh, that was directly listed um, in the in the same chapter where all of the things were freed. Yeah, I, I'm curious as to how the thing in the circle would have been transported and kept, but okay, I, I'll, I'll give you that. But we were never actually told what they mm. were. We were, gi- we were given some descriptions. I like the slitherers. Yeah, yeah. the slitherers <clears throat> in the mirror. That was so bizarre. Uh, I really did like the the summoned whatever it was that every time snuff went down to make sure everything was good. Yeah. Hey, oh, yeah. Uh, what about a Pekingese? How about a French poodle? Oh, you like chihuahuas? How about a poodle? Yeah. I can be a poodle. Yeah. Come on, let me out. Yeah. Uh, all that. Just, uh, just not delightfully <laughs> creepy monsters in the, in the yeah. basement. Yeah. Uh, um, that was yeah. between, between that and the, the characterization of of everyone in the story being being so thoroughly spot on. If you if you're a fan of the old like Universal horror movies, and you remember the carry of the the character of, of Larry Talbot, you can you can hear the ennui dripping from his voice in his dialogue in the story. It's just this oh so woe is me, but I will I will soldier on as I as I search these things out and and I will do this and it just it's so wonderful it really is it's well it is certainly a better follow-up to things like the house of Frankenstein and the house of Dracula than the house of the wolfman was uh, if you have not seen that recently created movie don't um, maybe skip that but, one yeah, 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 yeah uh, that but it, it's also match. It's also right up there with, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes meets Lovecraft and and some of those, um, I can't even call them pastiches, maybe homages? I, it, well, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, this, this definitely wouldn't qualify because yeah. it's not written in the style. And I've got to say, oh, I, I suppose this starts our, uh, our Homes for the Holiday uh, a little early this year since we read a story Yay. with Holmes, but... What a well, what a a final moment for Sherlock Holmes at the end, the disguise that wasn't a disguise. Yes, and on that note, readers who aren't fans of Holmes will actually be surprised by some of the reveals with more than one disguise being used throughout the, the telling of the story. Now, there's there's a few places where I thought it was really obvious, but I've also read and watched a lot of Holmes. Uh, so if you're not really into the the mystery genre, uh, I think it'll be a fun surprise for you. Uh, I will say one of the biggest um, points of disbelief that I had was uh, that there was a body that had to be dragged away from where a lot of the participants were because you don't want to bring you know, a whole lot of attention to the players of the game. Uh, But somebody orchestrated the death of a policeman very near Jack's house. And so Snuff was trying to haul that body to the Thames. Thames? Yeah, I'm mispronouncing it, sorry. Uh, To the river, which was a very long haul and took him multiple nights. Critters found it. And there were little bits and pieces of this body missing by the time it got to the river. 
But well, because it took him. How yeah. did humans not catch on? How did no human find this body in between here and there? Well, it is a little pre-CSI, right? It's I mean, just uh, like I said, that was that was my my <clears throat> big moment of disbelief. Uh, you know, kind of shredded the veil for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. There's talking animals, Jen. I get this, but in the story, See, <laughs> now, now for me. I, I had sort of the veil shredded in the opposite direction. So as, as the story progresses and snuff is, you know, snuff being our, our primary protagonist and, and he works with Jack and we know that Jack is a, a closer trying to prevent the, uh, the elder gods from, from uh, taking over the world. You, you tend to stop thinking about Jack as Jack the Ripper. No, right? he as, becomes as this, sympathetic. This, in, in, exactly, but it, it's not just that he's sympathetic. You you just stop imagining him in that fashion, and so there's there's a moment in the story where the vicar has hired vivisectionists to torture and kill Snuff, and they've grabbed Snuff, and and, they, and, and Jack has arrived on the scene, and the the passages. It was into him, and that funny light came into his eyes, and his hand came out of his pocket, and captured starlight, traced the runes on the side of his blade. Well met, Jack said then, through the teeth of his grin, and continued to walk straight ahead. And that's what we get, right? We don't we don't get a long, pro- prolonged fight or anything. We just get this moment of, we've got knives, and we're going to mess you up and kill your dog. And Jack the Ripper pulling out a magic blade and saying, let's have some fun. And it just, it snapped me back to, oh yeah, Jack Jack the Ripper. He's killed and mutilated a lot of people. And But it's so simple. And and he even made friends with Jill, which was kind of adorable. Uh, Everybody is civil but the vicar. uh, Yeah, the most outwardly evil character was the priest. That I will say that was a problem. Uh, that that hit a little maybe too close to home. Uh, <laughs> well, and that goes back. To, that goes back to to Zelazny being raised Catholic and then leaving oh, the Catholic man. Church and calling himself, you know, uh, a, a a lapsed or uh, or recovering Catholic for the rest of his life. That's how uh, he referred to himself. Yeah. So to have yeah. have you know, the, the vicar, this this Christian symbol of authority be the big nasty just the leader of the openers yeah 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 um yeah and i found it really interesting how it was described that every animal companion accompanied their human like uh gray mock would sit on jill's lap and be petted uh Jack and Snuff would go out patrolling and and gathering the the elements and uh, components needed for the the event. And then there was Quicklime. Quicklime was the snake. Poor Quicklime. Quicklime was the snake who lived inside the stomach of his person. Wait, what? Well, it, no, no. Rock, I, I love- it totally brings me like to the the Hollow Man in DCC, right? Um, just- well, and, and I love that Rastoff. Rastoff is the Mad Monk. Rastoff is a very thin veneer over Rasputin, right? And yeah, he's yeah. the uh, the beautiful art by Gahan Wilson that was you know, one piece per chapter. Fun. We have that representation of Rastoff, and it's it's very obvious who he really is. And so, of course, he is drinking heavily to excess. And since quicklime, where does quicklime dwell, Jen? In the stomach of the. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, where all the booze is flowing. So we literally have a scene of a hungover snake praying for death on the side of the road, contemplating going out and getting run over by a carriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's. There's, yeah. there's 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 so many interesting things with all of the animals, right? I mean, Cheater mm-hmm. the squirrel, who now is a flying squirrel, 
and is more advanced because his master stole his shadow and used it to further empower him. Now, who was the druid supposed to be? If everyone was you know, a, a major character. I, I am not certain. I have not been able to nail down all of the characters. I don't know if all of the characters are meant to be nailed down, right? I mean, okay. I mean, we have, like, like for example, I have no idea uh, in, in horror literature or film or history who Jill is meant to be, except, except of course, for the payoff for the shaggy dog joke at the end, which, since the book is narrated or by Snuff, is doubly funny. Generic witch put in because it's a, a Halloween thing. Um, uh, maybe a generic witch, but the, but the, her naming of Jill is, yeah. is very, yeah. Uh, but it's, but, as, but again, I mean, as, as the day grows nearer snuff and gray milk lament that they can't convert the other to their side. And even on, on the, on October 30th, gray milk is warning snuff. During the ceremony, this is where you're going to need to stand because something horrible is going to happen if you stand on the other side. And, yeah, and they, they still, they want to remain friends, but they know that one side is going to win and one side's going to lose. And we don't know what the repercussions are going to be in. Except that it's always horrible for the losing side. Yeah. And the losing side has always been the openers. That's the other nice thing about, about Snuff and Jack being closers is they can thus they can reference things that have happened in the past and give us an idea of of what to expect in this buildup to this this great ritual around the bale fire atop the hill. And oh, when we when we have other characters coming in with, oh no, you can't you can't move the the sacrifice. Cannot once the ceremony begins, a participant cannot move a sacrifice because they must have a chance, no matter how slim, to be able to escape and survive. And that, that's one of these unwritten rules that has gone through history that is only known to the closers. Mm-hmm. And, and we, and yeah, and we have unexpected openers. We have unexpected closers. So and, and really nice. No, as the characters are learning who's who, so are you. And I really dig some of the plot twists, especially uh, there are some that are revealed in tomorrow's reading, if you will, on the thirty first, and you're just left going, "Yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense in hindsight. Why didn't I think of this earlier?" Uh, but can mm-hmm. can we talk about that bale fire though? Oh, the bale fire. Every participant, even the animals, are contributing an item of themselves or that that they have found specifically for this purpose. And it all goes into one large fire before the ceremony. And holy cow, what what an alembic that must have been. I mean different things would get thrown in. You'd get some sort of smoke effect or all of a sudden there's this light and it would depend on what the fire hit next. And it just seemed so odd to me that both sides would have their, would have a combined fire, I guess is, is where I'm getting at. I would have thought it would be the elements of one versus the other but the way they all work together is quite interesting. Well, because the, the fire is, is the central anchoring point that powers essentially the, the entirety of the ritual. So, you know, everyone is throwing things into the fire to help sway it in their direction. And they even mentioned that in, in past ceremonies, things have happened where like the bale fire fountains out a wall of fire to protect one of the participants or blasts another one to ashes. And, and so you never really know, but as, as the fire is growing and the portal is opening and you're hearing, yeah, yeah, coming, coming through the ether and then all weird breaks out. Right. And the hallucinatory I mean, images. Mushrooms, we get, oh yeah. We, yeah. We get body switching and head switching and all very like, Late, it feels like very late 70s 
maybe even maybe even like late 60s to early 70s film with like the the where you'd line up a camera on a monitor so you'd have the person and the person and the person and the person person. that sort of prolonged weird almost psychedelic effect is uh, is described as part of the effects of the bale fire and i i could totally see this as an 80s cartoon too i oh most certainly i mean i think uh uh, much, much as I love Ray Bradbury, I think this would make a much better animated film than the Halloween Tree did. Oh no, no. It, well, yeah, it would have to be animated. I can't stand the live action talking animals like the Lion King and stuff. But yeah, I, I think uh, Quicklime would uh, would probably be my favorite tragic character. Um, who who would be your uh, hero and villain and and favorite character here well okay so of of the animal companions if we rule out snuff if we rule out our primary protagonist Mm -hmm. i think the most interesting of the animal companions is bubo the pack rat okay and the, the the role he plays through the entire story which which keeps shifting and, and changing. Oh yeah, there's and, focus. And there's, there's a yeah. big reveal followed by an even bigger reveal. I I love I love the character. Well, Bubo's I, the I, hero, I, I think. He's the unsung hero of the entire story. He's the unwitting hero. He's the he's the accidental hero. Oh. The, the line where he's like, you know, I'm thinking about what I did. And I'm not sure. I, I, I'm starting to regret it now. And, and, and those moments of, of great clarity. He's he's the uh, the accidental hero, and it's it's quite fun. I mean, the the vicar. Oh my god! I mean, he is definitely he is definitely the guy you want to hate. As as he has this group of people that are that are traveling by night with crossbows, shooting at the animals, mm-hmm. and and behind several murders and even even you know the the aforementioned dead body which was a dead police officer no less that he dumped right over by jack and snuff's place uh he is just he is evil and he is vile and of course he's of course he is the person that is planning a human sacrifice yeah uh, uh, so, so dark i, I so, agree with you on on the villain assessment um who if you had to pick of the well okay of the non-animal companions because not all of them are human uh which character uh of the bipedal sort would you say would be uh the most heroic of this lineup of this lineup i would say i i would say the most heroic and coming out of absolute left field is the count. I I was going to say. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah. Larry Talbot certainly has his moments. So do, so does Holmes, but you know, the the count's simple declaration of "I like this world the way it is." Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he's 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 a he's a closer, but he's not. He's not a closer because he wants to be heroic so much as he doesn't want anything else interfering with with his livestock. So there's this this darkness to that that I just I love. There's there's so many layers and facets to all the characters in the story. And see, I, I, I was going to say that I I think uh, my my initial inclination would be Frankenstein's monster. Because he's just so tragic anyway. Right. Uh, He kind of saved the day for for Grey Malk at the end there, Uh, (laughs) which was terrifying reading the rest of the, you know, the earlier days. Uh, But I think that the heroic human, or humans plural, would be the traveling gypsies. Because of the work that they did behind the scenes. Yeah, I can see that. And and actually, though, when you mention when you mention you know the experiment man, Frankenstein's monster. Oh, the experiment and, man. That's the what Snuff called him. And 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 the way he sort of pulls off a few things. 
it dawns on me that you know I the, I previously mentioned right you know House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, and in those old Universal films, it's never explained right how how Dracula and Frankenstein really have you know Frankenstein's monster have really uh, come to be together, and this book does. This book fills that gap. So I'm curious uh, of you and our listeners. Which group were you really rooting for? The openers or the closers? All right. So in the book, in the book, I was rooting for the closers, right? In our modern world, I think I'm more a flaming meteor of death kind of guy at this point. So I I might, uh, if this were to happen today, I might root for the openers just so there could be a clean slate. Um but but definitely in in the book it's it's all about the closers and so fantastic just i i think i've i've read this book now like nine or ten times and it never ceases to engage me and and it just it it really brings joy it's it's such a good story and and it is a it, it's a fairly quick read i mean if you haven't started it yet you don't have to read a chapter a day you could uh, you could certainly read it a day it's 234 pages 12 full page illustration so it's like 222 and and they're they're not 12 they're not full page illustrations no like 30 32 there's one per chapter. No, 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 no. Full page illustration. There's there's one per chapter, and then there's the back, the inside back cover, which is right. the author. You, you said 12. 12. 12. Oh, you're right. Oh, herp 12. Why am I thinking 12? Yes. No, there's 31. It's not right. 12 days of Christmas, full. babe. <laughs> <laughs> On the first day of a uh, night in a lonesome October, <laughs> my dog Snuffy gave to me. I would probably say the uh the closers for me um with a lot of regret because i think gray milk oh her her journey into the the dreamlands and and her quote-unquote cat friend afterwards um yeah she'd probably be my favorite of all of the animal companions besides you know as smart as snuff is and everything he he's doing and guarding uh, he's a good dog. snuff is a good dog and he cares about so many aspects of this and and that is evident but gray Malk is is probably the most intriguing to me and i'm i'm really sad that she and Jack and Snuff weren't able to convince Jill to come to the other side and be a closer. But I would have gone for the closers if for no other reason that that was the side opposing the vicar. And screw that vicar. That's, that's, <laughs> and actually, when you talk about, about Greymouth, right? and they, they go into the Dreamlands, and there is that. I mean, let's face it. It was just her, I thought. No, it was her and Snuff. Oh, I her thought Snuff had to uh, pull her free. They got pulled through. They got oh, pulled through the them. gate atop the hill. Oh, and yeah, because otherwise, how would he know? Yeah. And then we have Snuff making reference to the canine counterpart, Growler, who is the primordial dog. And and how, ah, well, see, okay, I, cats can't be all bad because hmm. that, that cat god seemed to like me. It just... All, all of it just weaves so nicely together. Yeah, at first I thought I thought Growler had been a reference to the other dog that he'd seen around town, but that that's uh, yeah. I'm not going to get into that too much. Um, yeah, all in all, I would I would say yep. I'll read it again next year. And I mean, you yeah. can listen to it in like four hours or something. It, it really it is was better movie. than Cats. I've seen it again and again and it, again. It, yeah, it was I, better than this, Cats. This it was better than Eye of Cat, also by Zelazny. Fair, although I really like it. It's just a different um, sort yeah. of mythology that that they're diving into. Yes, and it is. It is light and creepy, and and that's really. Really, I think what it, what it boils down to, it is your favorite Halloween word. It is spooky, right? It is not, this is not a horror story. This is not a, a scary, this is, 
this is like going through a haunted house on Halloween. It's it's creepy. It's it's spooky, but you, this isn't a book that's going to keep you up at night. It's just fun. Yeah, it it's more like yeah, uh, Universal haunted house. Yeah, yeah. It is it is very light for anything that involves any sort of Lovecraftian creatures, especially or Jack the Ripper uh, at the time. Of- <laughs> right. Uh, but but it is it's it's fun it's a great read i cannot recommend it highly enough uh, i'm well. i'm sure it's available as you know for kindle or whatnot folks can download it right after the show if they haven't read it and uh, and they will it's not regret it too. it is a lot of fun uh, well so, okay well do you have any final thoughts on the book me. Um, I, I think I would like to hear from other people, even if they want to just drop us an email and see what they thought about it. And that's the hub at sanctum.media for anybody curious, anyone new to the show. And yeah, it, it it was a real change of pace from things like Conan or, you know, the the typical appendix and sci-fi fantasy tropes. Exactly, exactly. So it was refreshing. So as we as we wrap up our thoughts on a night in the lonesome October, we can announce the winner of last month's second giveaway, which was a copy of Ace Double F two twenty-three, Envoy to New Worlds by Keith Lawmer, and Flight from Yesterday by Robert Moore Williams. Our winner is Brick1321, and we will be emailing him shortly to uh, to get his contact details because he is not in the chat this evening, but it's it's prime Halloween spooky season, so I understand. And so we will get that prize sent out to him. And since we're talking about prizes, it is time once again to announce a pair of giveaways one for the live audience and the other for all of the viewers and listeners, including members of the live audience, no one the first. So, Elena, that's right. It is time to enter the Sanctum Sacrum's very own Prize Closet of Mystery. There we go. The Prize Closet of Mystery. So, uh, as a quick reminder, everyone watching the show live is eligible for both live giveaway and our monthly drawing. Tonight's first prize is a copy of Roger Zelazny's Isle of the Dead, which seems rather timely for Halloween. The copy is going to go to the live viewer who correctly guesses the answer to the following question. Ooh. Which famed novelist and comic book author has stated that Roger Zelazny was the author who influenced them the most? Was it Jeff Hill, author of Heart Shaped Box and creator of Lock and Key? Alan Moore, author of Voice of the Fire and creator of things such as Watchmen and From Hell? Neil Gaiman, the author of American Gods and creator of Sandman? Or Gardner Fox, the author of the Kothar series and best known for his work on such things as The Flash, Detective Comics, and Action Comics. And we already have a winner. Skunkworks TT has pegged it right. It is indeed Neil Gaiman, who who has said that Roger Zelazny was was his greatest, was the author who influenced him the most. So is on the ball tonight. uh, Skunkworks, drop us a line at the hub at sanctum media so we can get all of your information get that sent out to you and uh, jen why don't you tell everyone about our our monthly drawing well if you are watching this show and didn't win our trivia question so if you're not skunk works or if you're listening to a replay in the lead up to our next episode you can enter to win our monthly drawing simply by dropping an email to the hub that's t-h-e-h-u-b at sanctum.media with your name and entries should have the subject line prize closet of mystery i suck at that do that do it it for me prize closet of mystery yay and what is this month's prize bob straight from appendix n it is a copy of roger zelazny's 
Jack of Shadows. Ooh, also very timely for the month. I wonder uh, which yes. publication, which publication house, or which printing, uh, which which copy is it? There are so many cool. It covers is, of it is of indeterminate date. Uh, when when looking it up, there is there is not a discernible actual year of printing for this one. Rude. Uh, that's that's even on the uh, speculative fiction database, but it is from Signet Publications. And let me see here Ooh. if I just hold the baby right. There we go. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. We lose a little bit in translation, but you lose a lot, really. But you know, you asked so two Zelazny books were given away. That it, it sounds amazing, but they're in the price closet of mystery, so they must be uh, mysterious prizes. Before it becomes the guest bedroom of mystery. Yes. So. Too close to home. And, uh, <laughs> and speaking of contests and polls, uh, let's, let's give we folks need a little information. Well, let's give people information before the poll goes live, because otherwise. That's, that's right. That's right. Books. That's right. Okay. So our, uh, we, have, we have four choices for our next book. The first is by Hugo Gernsbeck, who is the Hugo that the awards are named after. And it is One to Foresee for One Another. Uh, which is, Ralph. well, Ralph, One to Foresee for One Another, which is Ralph One yeah. to Foresee for One Plus. Uh, bit, of a, bit of a sci-fi robot story there. We have H. Ryder Haggard, She, A History of Adventure, which is a book that has never been out of print in over 145 years. I mean, that that's kind uh, of Detroit exciting, Haggard, right? also the creator of such things as mm. King Solomon's Minds. And it's mm. okay. William Hope Hodgson, mm. The House on the Borderland, which is a story that was directly praised by Lovecraft. And, uh, Hodgson coming you know, prior, prior to Lovecraft and prior to the Appendix N era is certainly one of the giants those authors uh, whose shoulders those authors stood upon and finally new to our list is ursula k le guin's recannon's world uh, ursula k le guin of course winner of eight hugo awards out of 26 nominations so lasney only had 14 mind you wow um recannon's hmm. world it's free on audible and uh and she is uh, another giant in in the field of science fiction and fantasy. So when oh, Elena's so ready, we can put up the poll, and we will see who we are going to be reading. Okay. Ralph, one to one to foresee for one another. She House on the Borderland or Rakan's World. Hmm. Right now, hmm. right now we're starting to lean towards towards Hodgson. Whoa. Interesting. Although we've got to vote for Ralph. What? Yeah. See. Mm-hmm. See. Yeah. Okay. Her, I, I stand Yeah. No. Nobody cares about she. I guess. Um, hmm. Well, I I will say that we can. Uh, anyone who wants to can always bump their votes and spend those channel points. You can also. I meant to remind you guys midway. You can also spend channel points to ask Bob. You know, strange trivia facts, stuff like that. No, wait. I, it, I am um, a font of. Yeah, we don't need the re-roll. In the past, we've described how to go fishing in the Sahara Desert. Ooh. And our winner is, oh, House on the Borderland, which is Ooh. a wonderful, wonderful piece. I just hope it's not quite the same style of writing as Lovecraft. I, ho- I hope it's more accessible, like uh, Barrows Bennett was. I think it's. I, I think that Hodgson is both more verbose, but also more accessible. Uh, you don't have as okay. much squalmous, unnameable uh, things that come up in in Hodgson's. Okay. Uh, but his work, his work definitely has a very dreamlike quality to it, and uh, the House on the mm-hmm. Borderland is certainly no exception. So that now should it's... be. Uh, is this part of a short story collection or is this a standalone? Oh no, that is, that is, it is in no way, shape or form a, a short story. It is, uh, it is, it, okay. it is a, a lengthy piece. Oh, oh and we've hey. had a redemption for a, 
Okay, so a random, let's see, a random fact. A random, fact. random joke All right. or a random um, fact. Uh, random jokes in the spot, just never a good thing. So we'll go with a random fact. That's true. It's a family show. We need to keep it family friendly. It is. It is indeed. Okay, here's a, here's a random fact, and it'll be a random fact about me, no less. I once got to breathe fire at a biker at his own insistence and without getting pummeled in, into putty. I, I breathe, I, I yeah. breathe fire at a biker. <laughs> and I swear to God, if I caught that man on fire, it would have been the highlight of his day. Oh, and I'm hearing how's did, the borderline. Did his eyebrows smoke? All right. All right. Oh. All right. So I, I will, oh, I will, I will, Kindle. Really? I was uh, I was working at the Texas Renaissance Fair as a fire breathing hawker. So I would stand up in front of uh, various booths throughout the day, breathing fire, bringing people in, you know, catching attention, bringing them in stores. And uh, I had a mouthful of Coleman's fuel, which is white gasoline, and a lit torch. And I'd reared back and I was ready to breathe fire, and a biker jumped out in front of me. And so I, I sort of pantomimed, move, and he didn't. So I, I pointed to the torch and I pointed at him and I tried to get the idea across to him that I was about to breathe fire and he was going to catch fire and things would not end well. And Pop he looked at me. At charades, apparently. <laughs> he grabbed his ponytail and he said, burn it off, man. And, uh, but a, when a biker in Texas tells you to breathe fire at him, you're kind of cornered. So on a, on a good day with a strong tailwind, I can maybe breathe fire maybe 15, 16 feet. So I took a couple big steps back, could, which put could. him Please, please don't ask that, me to do it now. <laughs> but, but put him outside that range. And so I, I breathed fire in his direction and uh, he, he was, and as the fire cleared, he's staring at me and he went almost there, man. And I had enough fuel in my mouth, so I did it again. And so I breathed, breathed another jet of fire at him, and then I, I bent down to to rinse my water, my mouth out with water, because of course, having gasoline in your mouth around all those soft tissues is not something that is uh, necessarily healthy or good. And as I'm doing that, the biker is rushing up towards me, and I thought, well, this was really fun, and now I'm going to die. And uh, he was clapping me on the back, and that was awesome, man. That was great. You almost got me, man. And uh, it was. It was a standout moment in my life. It was, a, it was a strange, strange moment. But there is your your random fact for uh, for your uh, thousand point redemption tonight. Your your random story, yeah. Well, it was a fact followed by an explanation because there were there were kind of questions. So uh, so there about. we have it. And that's okay because this is a show about stories. It is, and, you know, uh, our next show, we're going to return to our, our regular schedule, the regular day and time, the third Tuesday of the month. And that puts us on November 15th. So we're not like in the week of Thanksgiving, you, you know, you don't have to chance missing it or yeah, all that good stuff. And it's the week after the birth of yeah. so we will be available. And, uh, Shoot, that only gives us, ooh, like 15, 16 days to read it. So we do have. Yeah, I'll put the, I'll, I'll put a copy of it on your nightstand, Jen, because. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> better put a copy of it on my Audible, too, just in case. It will make a meaty thought. Oh, boy. But, uh, but it's I, one of those. But it, it's, a, it's a great book. Uh, but yeah, just over two weeks. Uh, we will see you back here, same place, same time. And thank you to everybody who's tuned in. I hope you've been at least slightly entertained. I hope you go read this book because it is highly entertaining and it's perfect spooky time. Uh, no history prop. Really I am not. I'm not doing cliff notes. I ain't going out like that. Uh, <laughs> you see who I have to work with here, right? Uh, no. <laughs> I've only read everything by Hodgson two or three times. And uh, yeah, I, I, I have not had the opportunity. So I'm, I'm happy to create that uh, expansion in my repertoire. 
So I think uh, if those of you on Twitch want to hang out with us, we're going to go raid uh, DJ Foxy real quick. And to everyone listening on the podcast end, thank you very much for tuning in and have a wonderful, spooky night. Indeed. Be inspired. Good night, everyone. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum podcast. Tune in for our next regularly scheduled show coming soon. This has been a production of Sanctum Media. Sanctum.